Amen, amen. Just something about having good fellowship. Amen. God is so good. While you're standing, if you turn with me to the book of Jude, right before Revelations, the book of Jude, short, short little book. Good to see each and every one of you here. In the book of Jude, verse number 3, it says it like this. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Thank you, Lord. I would like to speak, teach, preach just for a short time on this thought. Contend or pretend? Ah. Hebrews 2 verse 3 talked about that salvation. It's not that the writer Jude was saying that it was just common salvation. But he wrote, the writer of Hebrews said, chapter 2, verse 3, he said, it's a great salvation. Great salvation. You can be seated. God bless you. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this service. We appreciate all you've done and all you're doing. And someone say, in Jesus' name. To contend is to maintain or assert, to strive or vie to a rivalry or a contest. Jude 9 talks about how Michael, the archangel, contended with the devil over the body of Moses. There was a contention. There was a battle going on. I know that a lot of times people roll their eyes Sometimes I see it, sometimes I don't. <laughs> that you're talking about fighting again, Brother Flail. Well, you have to throw about a lot of your Bible out because there was a lot of fighting that went on. I don't mean, I don't mean in the house, <laughs> husband fighting against a wife, though you might be able to find that. I'm talking about first fighting, Sister Tina. There was warfare, there was battles. It was this tribe wanting to take over that tribe. And this, these folks here saying, I want that land, and so let's fight about it. And whoever is the biggest and the baddest wins. And, and that's ultimately what everything comes down to. Whoever's the biggest and the baddest wins. Well, I want you to know you're on the Lord's side. And when you're on the Lord's side, you're going to win. If you try to do it on your own, you're not going to get very far. We just won't make it very far at all. So I picture fighting, strenuous, painful behavior. Paul talked about it. Some of these verses I've used recently. 1 Timothy 6.12, you should fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy 4.7 says, I have fought a good fight. Man, you got to understand that a guy like Paul, 
who became, who was Saul, went through some things. Read some of the accomplishments. Read some of the things that he endeavored to go through or he experienced. Brother Carl, I'm telling you what, you start looking at that list and you go, I can't get beyond the first one. Anybody here been scourged? He was scourged more than once. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was left for dead. He was stoned. He was uh, talked about badly. Oh, my. I'm not the only one. He was made fun of. He was rid It just, the list goes on and on. And, and he's writing to the early church. It must have rubbed off on Jude, the half-brother of the Lord. Somewhere around 75 A.D., he gets a pen in hand, and he writes this short little letter. And he starts out in verse 3. When you, when you get to that, he says, he said, to earnestly contend for the faith. Fighting was essential. You didn't become good at it. Well, you just became a statistic, and you were consumed by it earnestly contend. The Amplified says it like this. He said to fight strenuously for. Let's just go a couple rounds. No, you got the dukes up. You got your, you got your radar turned on, super fine-tuned. It's all the things that you look at. It's the opposite of taking things leisurely. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we go through living for God and we do it leisurely. We do it with half-heartedness. We do it with very little emphasis on the details. Well, I read my chapter today. I'm not making fun of that. But it's in the attitude. If all you can do is read a chapter, praise God, I pray He blesses you greatly. that attitude. Fight strenuously for that. In the Good News translation, and this is what I want to focus on, he says it like this. My dear friends, I was doing my best to write to you about the salvation we share in common. Not common salvation, but we share this in common. God was no respecter of persons. We come to find out that he wasn't any better to the Jew after the New Testament, than he was to the Gentile. In the Old Testament, he was reaching for his own people. But they rejected him, so he said, I'm going to go to someone who will who'll take it. And so this common salvation said, hey, you got a PhD? Praise the Lord. You don't? You got a GED? Well, praise the Lord. It's the same salvation for both. You got a lot of money in your bank account? You don't have any in your bank account. <laughs> you got great locks of hair or you got no hair? He says it's for you. You're thin or you're not. It didn't matter. This salvation was common to all. He goes on. He says, when I felt the need of writing you at once to encourage you to fight for the faith which was once and for all, God has given to his, and once for and for all, as God has given unto his people. He said, I encourage you to fight. Be a contender. 
not a pretender. What do I mean when I say a pretender? Well, to be a pretender, it means to give a false appearance of being or possessing or performing. It's imaginary or it's even make-believe, Webster says. And to, and to top it off, he says it's fake, it's false, it's phony, and it's fictitious. That's what a pretender is. That's when we start playing church. That's when we start thinking that all I have to do is sign a card. All I've got to do is throw a buck in the plate. No, the scripture is challenging. The scripture is encouraging for us to become better, become new, to become new creatures in Christ. Not to be pretenders. They say just the right thing. They raise their hand right at the right moment. And I'm not looking at anybody in particular. I'm, not, I'm just saying this in general, folks. There's a church world. There's a, there's a movement that all you have to do is just occupy a chair. That's not scriptural. Come on. There's labors that are needed into the fields. There's things that need to be done. There are Bible studies that need to be taught. There are people in places that we have not yet got to that need to hear the gospel message. I'm glad you occupy a chair. But I hope you do other things throughout the week. Isaiah said it like this, 29:13. He said, and this is quoted later, we'll read that, but he said, this people draw near me with their mouth. He's prophesying about what the Lord is going to say on, you know, during his ministry. The Lord Jesus Christ. He said, this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. 15.8 of Matthew, I believe that's what I gave you, says it like this. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. What is he saying? He said, you're really good at giving me lip service. That's a pretender. A pretender is somebody who just says with good intentions, I'll do this, I'll be that, I'll go here, I'll go there. And the scripture says, come on, wait a second. It's not like that. You say it, you should do it. Well, then I'll never say anything. You're not getting the, you're not getting the point. You're missing it. James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only. We're compared this, we're to, we're to be Christians, which was Christ-like. And this was first used in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And uh, Luke wrote it like this. I gave that to you? Yeah. Found and brought him on to Antioch. It came to pass that the whole year they assembled down at the bottom, taught much people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. They were first at this point in time. It was pinned that these disciples, this beginning of the movement of the new birth experience, they mirrored and mimicked Jesus. Christ-like. It was a compliment. They were crucified for that compliment. They looked at them and said, Ooh, yeah, we can tell you've been with Jesus. At one point they said to the disciples, they were ignorant and unlearned men. But they knew that there was something about them. They were, they were ditching them. 
They were slandering them by saying, you're ignorant, you're an unlearned because you're a fisherman. Are you kidding? They're some of the hardest working individuals you know. Fishermen, they understand tides and movements and numbers and, 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 and all kinds of things. It's much more than just throwing a pole or a, a line in with your pole. Come on, those fishermen. That's who Jesus went and got the majority of his people were fishermen. He said, I know this. I don't have to teach them how to work. I was really discouraged at the end, Brother Mark, uh, at quality moving in stores. I was very discouraged because when I, early on, we got people that had a mind to work. We got people that weren't afraid to sweat, Brother Stacy, and labor and run and be there on time and, and their word meant something. But by the end of quality moving in storage around 30 years, I couldn't get anybody that wanted to work. Ah, oh, when's my vacation? When do I get a raise? You haven't even been here a week. Taking long breaks, longer lunches, stopping on the way to the job, stopping on the way back from the job. Uh, it's, it's a mentality. But Jesus said, hey, I want people who want to work. I want people who want to contend, people who want to fight. Christ-like, apostolic, means that we relate to and conform to the New Testament teachings. That's what being apostolic is. Someone goes, what does it mean you're apostolic? It means that I love preaching. It means that I love teaching. I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. It isn't all lollipops. <laughs> no, it's not all lollipops and, and, uh, and lace. Sometimes preaching, it's, it just stirs up my heart. The word, it's, it just becomes, it comes just recently. I'm not, I haven't forgot. I even went through to remind myself. I, I remember what I taught and preached over the last month, okay? But sometimes you just bring things up again because they're important. That conscience that God gave us, there's there for a reason. Because when preaching comes and, and, and it begins to stir you and it begins to challenge you, it's so that we do something with it. It's not so that I feel like this and then go home and go, oh. no, we do something with it. And that, that, that repentance that's talked about in 319 of Acts, and you don't have that, but it, it talks about it bringing a refreshing. Well, I feel guilty. When he preaches like that. And your point is? And my point is, Brother Eugene? The fact of the matter is it, it's so that it changes me. And so it challenges me. So I'm not a pretender. I'm not an individual just going through the motions. Ooh, wasn't that a nice little sermonette the pastor preached today? Woo! Churches are filled, charismatic churches are filled brim to brim, one week after another, over a concert-type atmosphere. Bring in a bunch of super-talented people, and I believe we are filled with super-talented people. But the emphasis on, let's give them a show, and then let's give them a little feel-good message, Sister Barb. Ooh, blessings and and blessings are good. I love those. But you never preach about how you ought to change. 
If you never preach, you never hear preaching that says, I'm going to challenge you to do better. You got to get out of that environment. You don't, you don't ever hear anything about how sin is wrong and the, and the Lord doesn't like it and how hell's going to be hot. How can we be any different, Sister Maya? How can we? I just pretend. Give me a flag to wear. Can I play a tambourine? Hey, those all got a place. But when that replaces preaching, when that replaces doing right, then we are in the wrong place. Because the Word of God says, I want you to grow. The Word of God says, I want you to be like me. I I, I want you to change. I want you to take the old man and put that old man away and put on the new man. I want things to be progressive. So this apostolic doctrine and teaching, that's what changes us. Old things are passed away, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Behold, all things are become new. It is amazing how that has been misconstrued, that it was a one-time newness application. It was the beginning of an application of newness. Because we're told to put on the new man, Colossians 3.10. And that was not in reference to baptism. It was in reference to living for God. It was in reference to being a contender. Put on the new man. The old man doesn't belong. He doesn't belong. 6.4 of Romans says we begin to walk in the newness of life. Walking in newness. I didn't just... Get the newness when I went down in Jesus' name in the baptismal tank. But that was when it was first applied. And then the scriptures began to show me how I need to do that regularly. How I need to apply that new man each and every day. Changes in my thinking. My passions, my desires, my ambitions and my goals begin to change. Making me more like him and less like me. John 3, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. These genuine changes come from this message that we're talking about. Is the Bible important? Brother Todd, you bet it's important. I'm going to tell you what, I don't care if it was written thousands of years ago. It's still as applicable. It's still as important. It's still as powerful as it was when it was penned. Genuine changes come from this message. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jude 3 in the Good News translation. I think I even referenced that once before, but it says, This salvation we share in common. That's so encouraging. It's not different levels. It's referred to as common because it's the same for each of us. We want to make heaven our home. We've got to do the same thing. Not different for you, brother. Not different for me. It's the same. So when I look at you, I can go, you know what? 
we can do this together. That fellowship you're talking about, Brother Stacy, is important. I, I can't tell you the number of people, Sister Elaine, I have heard over the years and witnessed that gave up on this thing. Somewhere along the way, pretending. And then realizing that it wasn't important enough to even pretend anymore. But when you see them in the grocery store, you know what they say? First thing, come up. I, I was telling my son, I said, I don't avoid anybody. I don't avoid anybody. You say, well, I've had some, you know, run-ins with people. <laughs> yeah, own a business for 30 years, guaranteed. Not everybody <laughs> is easy to deal with. <laughs> Saints are the same. And so I just think that everybody ought to be, it shouldn't be I have to turn my head. I don't have to lower my head. I have to go a different road or a different aisle way. I can see people and shake their hand and hug their neck. No matter if they burned a bridge on the way out, I still love them. I don't like what they did, but I still love them. I still pray for them. I want them to find their way home. And all of a sudden, they they just they see you and you hug them. And brother, brother Johnny, they you you just give them a hug and and they just see you and they go, man, I I just tell them I miss you, I love you, I I'm praying for you, I, I wish the best for you. None of that is, tr is, is untrue. That's all the truth. And they go, oh, man. Don't worry, brother. Don't worry, assistant pastor. I'm still reading my Bible. I'm still praying. If you're reading your Bible, you're reading the book of Hebrews, it says, don't forsake yourself, the assembling of yourselves together. <laughs> you read your Bible talking about brotherly fellowship is, is, is good stuff. That, that preaching and having a shepherd and all those things are so important. Generally, I don't mean to put that on a negative note. Just genuine changes come from this message. Contenders. You know what they're like? They're like those people in the day of Pentecost said, men and brethren, what shall we do? They're saying to those, or those elders of the New Testament church saying, don't hold it back. Tell me what I need to do. And they did. And they did. And then we practice it. We learn from it and we apply it. That's what we do. That's what a contender is. Contender doesn't go, well, I like two-thirds of that. <laughs> well, two-thirds is better than none. Got to start somewhere. You said it the other night. I didn't come into this thing paying tithes. I didn't even know what tithes was. The Tustin didn't even know. And then... As we're coming into church, they're talking about that stuff. I read this article about an individual who had one of the largest corporations in America and now international. And was talking about paying tithes from his company, multi-billion dollar company. And he began to talk about how from the very beginning they told him his company would never succeed. Talking about Smith, the owner of Federal Express. 
It was a tithe payer. First of all, they said, your idea will never work. Overnight packaging. <laughs> yeah. Tithing can't work. He proved them all wrong. <laughs> Tithing is a principle. But I didn't come into this that way. So I guess as we begin to learn things and we begin to apply those, sometimes it's baby steps. I just was reading how Paul was talking about, I, I should be feeding you with meat, but instead I'm feeding you with milk because you're not yet able. Well, it is what it is. Isn't it like that? You look amongst each of us, and, and, and we're a, a group of ragtag individuals, some of you much better looking than others. Referring to myself, you're so much better looking, so much smarter. But we come in differently. Some of us come in like Brother Stacy, like a wild man, absolute Tasmanian wild man. He got baptized in the Fairbanks Church, and, in the, and that first night he said, I know I need to read my Bible, but I can't read very well. What do I do? I said, you just do what you can do. I said, you just, you just open up, and if, and if a page is what you can... We came through kind of a, a system that allowed people to graduate without learning how to read. Not everybody here can read the same level. Not every one of us are on the same level of education or whatever. It doesn't matter, but you put your effort forth, and God will bless it, and he did. I could. He fell out of a bucket in an excavator and he came to church. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are the same way. You just came no matter what. It didn't matter. You didn't have not going to church in your vocabulary. I'm not going to lay home at. And us, some of us, had some things that we rationalized were reasons to stay home. Guess who grew faster? The individuals who, get, who, who put more effort forth. And so, different levels. We're told like this. He said, practice it, apply it, learn it, put it into application. This is how, how, how Paul wrote a couple of things. I like this. He said, flee fornication, 1 Corinthians 6.18. He said, flee idolatry, 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 14, Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 11, flee these things. Okay, got a list in there. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, flee youthful lusts. But he said in fleeing those things means going away from them, follow righteousness and faith and, and charity and peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. When we begin to do things, those respond to the challenges of the faith. We begin to take those things dear unto us. Growth takes place. Good things happen. But when I fight them, Brother Seth, when I don't put those into play, guaranteed, I'm not going to have a whole lot of blessings. Things are not going to work. Some want to know so they can do better. Some don't. Some don't want to feel conviction. 
already said, lollipops and lucky charms. Charismatic churches filled with that. I want somebody who's going to preach life-changing stuff to me. Things are not going to make me feel good. They'll make me feel good when I respond to it. When I respond to it, then good things begin to happen. Conviction, that state of being convinced of an error or compelled to admit truth. How important that is, that it work in our lives. And Even Acts chapter 26, I said this before, 28. Here's Paul talking to, El, uh, you know, prestigious individuals. Sister Paul, he's talking to King Agrippa and telling him about the things that God had done to him and for him when he was this guy who was persecuting the church. That gives me hope. Brother Michael, that gives me hope. And he says, after he's done preaching, almost thou persuadest me. I'll just continue being a pretender. I'll continue just going through the motions. I'll just act like I got something, but I really don't. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, I'm almost done here, verses 11 through 18. You don't have to know. It talks about putting on the whole armor of God. Do you know that if you put on the whole armor of God and don't stand, you might not make it? Might not be enough. It does not guarantee success. But he said, put on the whole armor of God and stand. Stand for what's right. Do what's right. Use your armor the right way. Don't just put it on so you can be this, look at me, I've got armor on. There's a, a very horrible story in the Old Testament about the children of Ephraim. And the children of Ephraim had become pretenders, much like the Israelites had many times before during their life, during their journeys. And they just allowed God to just be that little thing they dangled. Remember I told just the other, the other day, I said, that they took the Ark of the Covenant into the battle, pretenders. Because they, they said, if we'll just show the Ark of the Covenant, then that obviously, Sister Danielle, will be enough. They brought it in there, and they screamed, and they hollered, and they jumped up and down. And next thing you know, they were in bondage. Well, that didn't work. No kidding. But the children of Ephraim, like the Israelites, had a time in their life where they the Bible says the psalmist wrote it like this, 78 and verse number 9. 78, verse number 9. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. Pretenders. All of a sudden, it's time to fight. Got nothing. They looked apart. The they looked like the warriors. They had all the formations in line, and everybody... Just had things squared away, and yet it wasn't enough to make it in the battle. They just said, ah. So we're warned in Jude chapter 4 that certain men crept in 
unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They were surprised in Lamentations 4, verse 12. Brother Lance, that was a, a, a place where I, I can paraphrase it. You can see it on here. They were surprised that the enemy had accessed their fortress. Because they left their front doors open. Well, I wouldn't think that he would come in through the front door. <laughs> the adversary and the enemy should have entered into the gates of Jerusalem. They were surprised they came in right through the front door. They left it open. And so Jude says, you got to watch out. I'm warning you to contend. Don't be that pretender, but contend for the faith. Because there are men that are going to creep in. There are movements that are trying to tear down that which is important. Look around you. Everywhere you go, people go, well, you don't really have to be baptized in Jesus' name. Surely, surely, that was only for the Old Testament or the disciples or the 120, well, maybe the 3,000 or the 5,000 after that and then daily, such as the Lord should be saved without a number. Come on, it's not that way. This truth is for whomsoever will. You want salvation, you can have it. So Jude says, look out because there's men. They're going to try to turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness, something that is sexual. Remember I talked about that? Denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus. And that word and is the word chi, which means even. Deny the only Lord God, even our Lord Jesus. Voices, influences, attacking the faith. The truths, the doctrines, the teaching in your Bible. You got to watch out for that. Your family is worth fighting for. Your marriage is worth fighting for. This truth is worth standing up and saying, no, 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 no. I'm not going down that road. You, you're too late to tell me the Holy Ghost isn't for the church today. You're too late that speaking in tongues is, is the sign of that. Read for me. We'll read this last verse, Jude chapter 3. And I'm going to read it out of the, the Passion Translation. Brother Trace kind of turned it that direction here a few weeks back, and I really have found some incredible verses in there. And he said, Dearly loved friend, I was fully intending to write to you about our amazing salvation we all participate in. I like that. But felt the need to instead to challenge you to vigorously defend and contend. For the beliefs that we cherish. For God through the apostles has once for all entrusted these truths to the holy believers. And so now I change the message from contend or pretend, question mark, to contend and defend. Is there somebody wants to stand up for truth 
Is there someone that wants to stand up for Scripture? I mean, God can, God takes care of His Word. But when the church gets behind that Word, that's, that's powerful. When the church says, you're not going to move me, devil. You're not going to move me, loved one. You're not going to move me, neighbor. You're not going to move me, friend, from off of what the truth, what the Word of God says. Those influences, those attacks on the faith, not going to do anything except rile me up. Anybody feel like getting riled up? Anybody feel like you, you said, Brother Robbie, you're not here. You're not, are you? Upstairs. Right. Brother Robbie, you said you ought to hate the devil. You ought to hate the devil, church. You ought to be willing to stand up and contend for the faith. Defend it. Defend your pastor. Defend your church. I, I didn't. I, I felt a lot of negativity there. You ought to defend your pastor, church. You to, he defends you. He defends you. I promise you, he defends you. Someone says, hey, pastor, let me tell you about Sister Brenda. Mm-hmm. He goes, wait, 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 wait a second. I know him. I've been with him for more than 30 years. I know him. He says, oh, no, 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 no. You don't get to talk about somebody that's not here. You don't get to say things like that. That's, that's my saint. That's my sheep. I love her. I'm praying for her. I didn't say she's perfect or you're perfect. But he's defending us. Defend your pastor. Defend your brother. Defend your sister. Contend for the faith. Do it vigorously. Do it enthusiastically. Stand if you would, please. So for the tape ministry, for those that are pretending, been pretending, Maybe that just haven't been serious. I want to encourage you. Contend for the faith. I want to encourage you. Get behind preaching. When the invite comes, says come to the altar and pray. Get in the altar and pray. Get at your chair and pray. Call upon the Lord. When the, when the pastor says, hey, let's get together on Tuesday night. Let's have informal prayer. Even if it's 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever you can make, let's pray at 6.30 and let's do that together. That's a church. Come on. Let's love.